Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. I first of all want to welcome any of you who may be guests who are volunteers or attenders at Night to Shine and you decided we're going to come back to church, maybe see what kind of church this is. We're the kind of church that throws a party for people who will never repay you. And we are so grateful for Tim, the Tim Tebow Foundation giving us an opportunity to do, to do that. For the more than 300 volunteers that came out, you were exceptional. Uh, many of the people that volunteered, I didn't know their names, but it was so moving to watch what happened that night. It was an unforgettable experience, not only for those who attended, but those that were serving that night. I think everyone like myself would testify. It was classy. We had chocolate fountains. Uh, the cakes were phenomenal. Um, businesses in this community donated. There was photo booths, crowning stations, shoe, pol- shoe polishers, makeup artists. I mean, it was just... It was just an amazing night. You had to be there and experience to appreciate it to its fullest. And I'm going to share a few things in the message today about that. But thank you. I couldn't have been more proud of our church family, of how you responded. Because one of our goals this year is to Im- impact the community in practical ways. And this was a great opportunity for us to love the community in the name of Jesus. And hopefully to let them see that, that God is wonderful, that God is good. And, and they'll open up their hearts to that bigger um, love that God has to give. And love is really the subject we're going to talk about today. So if you have your bulletin and want to open up, actually just flip over to the back side, you might want to jot some things down today. This is Valentine's Day weekend, and um, yesterday was Valentine's Day, a a day that people love or hate. In fact, I know a man online who decided to ask his, um, his audience that reads his blog, do you love or hate Valentine's Day? And, you know, he says there's, there's two groups of people that really don't like Valentine's Day. One are single people. That's, and maybe that's kind of obvious. You know, you, you don't have that special person. And the other group that does like Valentine's Day are people that do have somebody. <laughs> because, because there's a lot of pressure on that day. And so when the question was thrown out, do you love or hate Valentine's Day? The men just were silent. They didn't want to respond. It was like, this is a no-win situation. I'm not even going to answer that question. It's loaded. But the women responded, and he was shocked to find that most women hated Valentine's Day. You know why they hated it? One woman said this. He says, if this is the only day you treat your woman well, then forget it. (laughs) Another said, I'm tired of all this pink and red stuff. Another said, I don't like wearing the the lingerie that I'm forced to wear on Valentine's Day. (laughs) So, you know, kind of we get through that day because there's all kinds of pressure. And and it's coming from the, the culture because... The card makers, the florists, the teddy bear companies, the chocolatiers, the jewelry stores put all the pressure out there and say, on this day of all days, you better turn the flame on and be this, this incredible romantic. And so men feel this incredible pressure because, honestly, most romance is sort of spontaneous. It's, it's like you're out working in the yard with your wife and you catch each other's eye and <laughs> there's a twinkle there. It's, it's not like, it's got to happen this day, okay? The chocolates, the rings, the, the great food, it's, it's all going to be magical. And sometimes it is. A lot of times it, it isn't. You know what's one of the most lonely scenes in the world, and the reason I can tell you about it is because I was there once. It's going to a place like Walgreens on Valentine's Day morning because you didn't plan ahead well, and you're looking through the cards, and it looks like the, the remainder of a World War II bombing explosion. <laughs> like there's a card here and a card there, and it's to Grandma and it's Aunt, Aunt Mildred, and I'm looking for that one that says that special thing to my wife, but I can't find it here. I will pay $10 for the card that opens up and sings, but I need a card that's, that communicates something. And, 
And we go out and we buy all these things and we, uh, the flowers are wilted. We know I can't, can't give her the wilted roses. And so it's an enormous amount of pressure. And for us guys, you know, the worst thing is to fail on Valentine's Day and have your wife tell her friends, hey, babe, what'd you do on your Valentine's Day? We did nothing. My husband's a big loser, you know. <laughs> guys have that pressure. We, we want to be... We want to do it well. We want to meet our wife's approval. And honestly, for many, many of us, we just want to get by Valentine's Day. Just let it help us get through Valentine's Day. We survive. Let's move on to the next thing in our lives. This weekend, a couple movies came out, touted as romance movies for Valentine's Day weekend. One of those is a movie based off a million-seller book called Fifty Shades of Grey. I've never read the book. I've read enough descriptions out about a book that, that tells me it's pretty pornographic. I mean, it, it demeans women. It's a distorted view of love. It's manipulative. There's a, there's a, a powerful man who abuses a younger woman. I know it's consensual, but it's, it's a very twisted story of love. At the same time, a movie came out called Old Fashioned, which you can just tell by the title of the, the movie. It's about an old-fashioned love story, the kind that we remember on TV, where boy meets girl, they fall in love, and they're committed deeply to one another. And at last... Uh, those are two different pictures of love and really epitomize the kinds of love that we're going to talk about today. And both stories have at the very heart of them something very similar. And here's what they have in common. The, the human heart, and I don't care if you're married or single, I don't care if you're young or you're old, the human heart, heart cries out to be loved. And it cries out to love in return. And unfortunately, just like we do with a lot of our appetites, you can fill that appetite with the wrong kind of love. And it can leave you feeling confused, shameful, and more empty than you were when you began your pursuit. Fill it with the right kind of love, and it satisfies, it completes you, it's better than you ever expected. That's my prayer for you today that you would experience that kind of love, that your life would be defined by that kind of love because that's the kind of love God offers to us. So as we begin our study today, let's pray together. Father, we pray that you'd open up our hearts, help us to understand this powerful love that you um, present to us in Scripture and through Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, for even those in this room, many have come through a difficult weekend. Many came through a depressing time. Many... We're let down because it may be something on Valentine's Day. But I pray today, Father, is a day of love, a day that we understand anew how, how deep your love for us is. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, love is not gray. Love is beautiful. Love is colorful. Love is satisfying. But we have to clarify, first of all, what we mean when we say the word love. What do we mean by love? Because we can love a lot of things. We can love um, Denver Broncos. We can love our dogs. We can love strawberry cheesecake. We can love warm, sunny days on the beach. You know, you can love a lot of different things. And you don't want to turn to your wife and say, you know, I love my dog and I love my wife. It just it doesn't sound really good. So we use love in a lot of different ways. And in our culture, we can put it all under the umbrella of love. But in the Greek culture, in the, in the culture of Jesus' day, in the culture of the New Testament writings, there are actually different words to describe different kinds of love. For example, um, and I'm going to show with you some of the differences between what culture defines as love and what Christ defines as love. Um, there, there's some, some Greek words. Don't write these down because these aren't the words I want you to write down. But there's a word called phileo. And some of you are getting hungry for a fish sandwich. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> phileo is the word from which we get Philadelphia. 
Philadelphia is a city of what? Brotherly love. That's what it is. It's brotherly love. It's, it's friendship kind of love, phileo. There's another kind of love called storge, which is family love. It's the kind of love that you don't even necessarily choose to do it. It's a bond you share with a family member. A lot of us have family members, honestly, you wouldn't have chosen them as your closest friends. But you love them because they're family. And we see that most perfectly in the love between a mother and her little baby. That's storge, love. In the Greek culture, though, the most dominant word used for love is the word eros. Now, I'm going to transliterate it and just E-R-O-S. That's the, 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 putting it in our alphabet is eros. And the eros is the root word for, for which we get erotic. And Fifty Shades of Grey, just so you know, when it was listed, the, the type of genre that movie is, romance, eroticism. It's this kind of love. So that's just making clear, that's the kind of love they're presenting. It's a love that's highly emotional. It's a love that's very passionate. It's a, it's a love that, that stirs you. It's a love that fluctuates. It's based on feelings. It's characterized by this word. It's self-gratifying. Self-gratifying. It's more about what I get, what I want, than what I give or what you want. It's very selfish because it meets my needs. And because it's so emotional, you can fall into it, you can fall out of it. And here's the danger with, with eros, is even though it's this, it's this highly emotional, sensual kind of love, when it starts to fade, you start to shift your eyes to someone else, that you can pick up that kind of love. It goes from person to person. It leads to a lot of affairs. It leads to um, a lot of broken relationships. Eros love. And we have a symbol for eros love, especially at Valentine's Day. It's a chubby little angel called Cupid. Cupid. There's only one word in the English language that rhymes with Cupid. I'm not going to use it in church. But there's a connection there. This, this little, little chubby angel up there shoots these love arrows, hits your heart. All of a sudden, you have these, uh, these magical love feelings for someone else. That's, that's kind of the picture of Eros love. In fact, if you want to remember Eros love, think of Eros so he's shooting the love. It sparks something in you, and you begin to love someone. Uh, love like that is a love that won't last. New Testament, the, the, from the time of Jesus to the end of the Bible, that word, even though this was written in Greek language, eros is never found in the New Testament. Whenever it speaks of love, and it speaks of love 320 times in, in, using the word agape, Agape. Agape love is a love that actually existed in that culture but was very minimized. It wasn't talked about enough. Jesus took that word and he magnified it. He owned this word. He defined this word. He made it more beautiful than it ever was before. Eros begins with you, what you've done, what you've accomplished. And so when, when you have Eros love, you tell someone, I love you because you're so beautiful. I love you because you're charming. You're so cute and adorable. I love you because of something in you. Agape love says, I love you because of me. I love you because of who I am. I love you because I choose to love you in spite of who you are or what you've done. It, it's initiated in the mind of the lover. One, eros is, is motivated by emotions. They fluctuate. Agape starts in the mind. I choose to love you. It's a, it's a decision of the will. Therefore, it can remain steady. It can remain committed regardless of emotional circumstances in someone's life. Agape love is self-sacrificing. It's, 
It's giving more than getting. There's something that's received, but more is given. The focus is on how can I help you? How can I bless you? What can I give to you? It's unconditional. It's not based on you earning it. It's based on me choosing to give it to you because I choose to do that. Night to Shine was a beautiful example of agape love. We invited a bunch of guests here that most of us had never met before. We threw a party for strangers. And yet there are people that God loves very deeply. And it was just a a beautiful, magical night in which we were able to give and and give service and give time. And people went went to great lengths to create beautiful things for these guests that they'd never met before and maybe will never see again. But it's the kind of love God calls us to give. And you know, in the process of giving, we got We were blessed. That's how agape love works. It doesn't start with the getting, but there definitely is a getting, uh, a receiving of something very powerful. In fact, most of us would say we got out, we got out of night to shine more than we gave. That's how agape love works. It works that way. Now, dating usually starts with eros love, and we're probably grateful for that, that you see someone, you go, man, he's cute. Man, she's hot. And we see that person, and then eros starts to stir up, and there's some emotional attraction. We come together, and we start dating But if it doesn't shift over to agape love, that relationship will die. Because because science shows this. The chemical reaction within your body when you first meet someone that you're attracted to, there is something chemically that happens. And it affects you. But they also have discovered this. It does not last indefinitely. And here's the problem many of us have in marriage is we want to maintain that that eros and the, the romance and the attraction. And it naturally fades. It fades. And if it's not replaced by a deeper, more abiding love, you'll be disappointed. And you'll say you married the wrong person or I never loved this person. That's not true. When you say you never loved that person, that's your decision. It's not your feeling. It's your decision. Because agape love is a decision of the will. So we want it to shift over. I I like to think of it as a two-stage rocket that Eros love launches the rocket, but then that burns up. And now another propellant must take the rocket the rest of the distance. Or when you start an old-fashioned uh, charcoal grill, get all your briquettes in place, and you, you, you soak it in lighter fluid, and you throw the match on there, and poof, wow, Eros, there's, there's a, it's fast, and it's furious, and it's exciting, and there's flames, and, and then it dies down, and then it gets to where these coals are just gently, quietly, steadily burning That's the kind of love agape love is. It's a slow, steady, warm, burning kind of love that lasts to the end of time. And when a couple begins with eros and shifts over to agape, it doesn't mean that that, that eros goes away. And here's the danger of the the grill analogy. When the lighter fluid's up, you go, okay, all, all we have now is old briquettes. Babe, you know, forget the flamey stuff. Forget all the romance stuff. We're just, pastor says, we're just, we're just charcoal now. No, we... Really, our, our wives and husbands, we want a little bit of romance still. We want a little bit of that spark. We, we, want to, we want to still have that for each other. And you have to work harder at it, don't you? I, I think it's more like cake. I, I, have a, I like carrot cake. And you know what attracts you to cake? The icing, right? Nobody, you look at a cake, you have no idea what's inside there. You just look, man... Ooh, I know what that frosting is going to taste like. I want some of that icing with some cake underneath it. Now, you can have cake without icing. You still call it cake, right? You cannot have a pile of icing and call it cake. It's not called cake. 
okay? You can't, and you'd get sick if you ate, ate just icing, right? You don't want a cake that's 50, I, well, you may want one, but you shouldn't have a cake that's 50% icing. You want a little bit of icing that, that gets you into the cake, and then you want that cake, ah, just the cake. That's the, that's the substance of it. And I think the, the icing is like eros. It attracts us. It delights the senses. It gets us there. But the real substance is the cake, and that's agape. So you want a little bit of eros. But you want what's inside. You want, you want this uh, cake. And by the way, carrot cake is my favorite. Oh. Just icing now, but cake later. Mmm. There it is. It's got both. And, and that's really, in a marriage relationship, you want that. But in a friendship, or in your relationship with your kids or other people, there isn't the icing. And you know what? That's okay. Because what really fulfills and sustains isn't the icing, it's the cake. It's the agape love. It's the deep abiding love that grows. And the more you understand it, the more you understand agape love, that is what fulfills the soul. That is what meets this aching desire within us to experience this kind of love. Now, this kind of love has a symbol. It's not Cupid. The symbol of this kind of love is the cross. Because on the cross is where love was displayed for us in a very profound way. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son for us. When we weren't even considering God, when we were living rebellious lives and sin, before we were even born, he loved us unconditionally. He initiated the relationship because of what was in his heart. God is love, the scripture says. He can't help but love those that he made. So when you turn to the book of 1 John, chapter 4, verses 7 through 9, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another. Why? For love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And so he tells us, you have been loved. You've been agape by God in this way. He died for your sins. When you were unworthy, when there was nothing desirable in you, he still loved you. That's agape love. And then he says, so love each other in the same way. In fact, Jesus was very clear. When Jesus was with his disciples in the upper room before Jesus died, he gave them one command. It's found in John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, here's what Jesus said. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Love, love, agape love. You do it because I did it. You can live by a cultural's, culture's definition of eros love. You'll not be satisfied. But I want to urge you, live by God's definition because that'll give you lasting satisfaction. Now, how do we do that? How do we live this kind of love? How do we display this kind of love that touches a life, that transforms a life? Well, I, I think there's a passage of Scripture that may be the most famous in describing to us what real love looks like in practical terms. It's, it's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's called the love chapter. And Paul, who's written a lot of Scriptures on different topics, wrote one of his most poetic portions of Scripture in this section. Now, it follows chapter 12, which is about spiritual gifts. And how God gives believers different abilities. But he wants to make sure that as you exercise spiritual gifts, that you don't miss the critical component in relationships. 
And that is this thing called agape love. And, and he begins by saying that this kind of love um, is so critical that, that you may be very talented and gifted, but if you have not love, it's nothing. You may have all kinds of knowledge. You may know the scriptures from beginning to end. You may have deep understanding, but if you don't have love, it amounts to nothing. He says, you could be a person of great faith. You can have faith that performs miracles and, 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 and put people in awe, but if you have not love, you gain nothing. And so then he describes in very practical terms, starting with verse 4, what real love looks like. He says, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This kind of love, he says, lasts. In fact, when he gets to the end of the chapter, he says, a lot of things are going to change over time. And when you finally get to the end of your life and you get to be with the Lord, things like faith and hope won't be needed anymore because you'll be in God's presence. But this will always remain. That's why it's the greatest thing of all. Love, love. So he tells us in very practical ways. I want to review those in a very quick form to make it very practical for us. How love looks in a family context. Number one is love displays tenderness. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love seeks to understand the other. Love seeks to be sympathetic, to be patient, to be gentle with one another. I don't know why it is, but we tend to be the rudest with those that are closest to us. We can be very kind to people at work and people at church, but we can be very rude to the people in our own homes. And God calls us to be kind and gentle. And you know what? When, when I'm not patient, I tend not to be kind. The, the, the more impatient I get, the ruder I get. And those two go together because they, they, they harness in the gentleness that's required in a relationship. I have a good friend that lives in Arizona a couple years ago, his wife was struggling with cancer. She had a long battle with cancer, and it, and it was really going downhill. The last few months of her life, she was in the hospital. The family made a decision. Now, this family has a husband. They've got two boys that live locally, and they decided that they would be the ones to bathe their mother. They would be the ones to change her undergarments. They would be the ones that would take care of her most intimate needs, not the nurses, not anybody else. They wanted it to be family because they know sometimes that with all the numbers of patients that they have to take care of, that, that their mother not, might not be treated with the greatest care. You know, it made me think, especially of the, of the two boys that I know, these two adult young men, taking care of their mother almost like she is a baby. I mean, they're bathing her, they're changing her undergarments, they're doing all this. I thought, what tender love for their mother. And I had to think that the reason they could do this was because they remember back when they were little boys that that's what their mother did for them. And they were giving it back to her. Such tenderness, such kindness given to their mother. In fact, you know what you call a man who treats someone with tenderness and kindness? You call him a gentle man. Scripture calls us to be tender in our love to one another. It also tells us in here that, that we should voice contentment. Voice contentment. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. I think most married couples at some point in their married life come to a place where they just question, might just be momentarily, I wonder if I married the right person. I really would do. I wonder if I married the right person. I mean, we look at someone else and go, man, 
I could have had a husband like that. Or I could have had a wife like that. And you start to think and you, and you, you question. I mean, it's easy to get discontent when you keep looking around at other people and, and what they have. It reminds me of this department store, this, this fictional department store that these ladies visit. These two single gals went and uh, they, they got on the elevator and went to uh, the this first floor after parking their car. And the first floor sign says, men who, who bathe regularly and wear deodorant. And they go, well, that's a good place to start. I, I, I could go for a man who has decent hygiene. And then they went up to the, the next floor and the door opens up, and they have a, a man who's, who loves children, and he's a good family man. They go, oh, that's pretty good too. Push the button, they go up to the next floor, and it, and it says, this man is a, a passionate lover and, a, and a, a perpetual romantic. They go, wow, I wonder what's on that next floor. They go up to the next floor, door opens up. Well, on display on that floor, this is men who are success in their jobs and financially secure. They go, oh, What's on the next floor? They push a button, go up one more floor, and the door opens up, and there's a sign that says, a woman is never satisfied. <laughs> we, we, isn't that kind of like us? And if I could just add that one other item to my spouse's portfolio, that would make them complete. But you know what I found over the course of time? And maybe it's taken me a while to get to the place where I realize in reflection, God knew exactly what I needed when he provided me my wife. She's perfect for me. I, I sometimes wonder if she got shortchanged in the deal. Because she's been wonderful and patient and understanding and encouraging and supportive and a great friend and a lover and all that and everything that I need. I, I don't need anybody else. I don't, I don't even look to anybody else. You know, sometimes we need to stop. When you write a Valentine's Day card, or it doesn't even have to be Valentine's Day, communicate to your spouse you are enough. You're all that I desire. You're all that I need. You're God's perfect mate for me. It's a beautiful thing to have that, to express that. Gape love preserves honor. It says it does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It's so tempting in relationships to criticize one another. And Julie mentioned that a couple weeks ago. That, that we sometimes criticize our spouses in the presence of our friends. Sometimes we do it in the presence of our children. And that's dishonoring. God calls us to honor. Do you know what's so amazing? Many of us give more uh, the honor to our animals than we do to our spouses. We extend more kindness to our animals than we do to our own mates, our own children. But honor is due. One of the things I loved about last Friday night is it was a chance to honor these young people. I should say, they weren't all young people. There were some as young as 16. There were some that are older than me. I'm way up there. So they're, they're close to 60 years old, getting their shoes polished and here on the dance floor. And you know, uh, it was just a delightful night. There were adults who were in tears because of what the group of volunteers was doing for their children. One dad came up to me, shook my hand. He says, I want to thank you for all the things you did for my daughter tonight, for the way you provided all this wonderful food, for the limos that gave them a ride, for the pitcher boot they had. You know, Tim Tebow made sure that all the, the, the young men and women got a tiara or a crown because in God's eyes, they're a king and they're a queen. He says, thank you for all the little things you did to welcome my daughter. But he says, do you know what else you did? He said, you celebrated her. 
And that touches my heart. Because as a dad, he knows how, how deeply he celebrates his daughter. And th- those of you who know, it's the girl nicknamed Buddy. And she was just so precious. There was a, a, a guy here whose brother came. His brother came in with some girls walking in with him. He was like his big day on campus. And he said, in tears, this is the, this is the biggest day in his life. In fact, some of you know the Wright family. And Teresa Wright helped put this on. <laughs> Wow. Her son came walking in with his tux or his suit, walks in the door. People start cheering. They're, they're celebrating him. He comes in and he enjoys the whole night. He was on the dance floor sweating at the end of the night. I said, uh, said how was it tonight? He said, this was the best day of my life. Best day of my life. And those of you who worked, you made that day for him. He's never going to pay you back but you honored him as the way, in a way that I believe God wants us to be honored, treasured, valuable, because we're all made in his image. Do that. Another way we demonstrate practical agape love is to extend grace. It says it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Some of us in this room, and, and I can be this way at times, are closet ragers. We are good in public, but at home, we allow things to build up, and they lead to a blow-up. And part of the reason we do that is because we're easily angered and we keep a record of wrongs. We've kept a secret ledger of all the things that our kids or our spouse has done to offend us. And you know what? Some of us write it in permanent ink. And so we remember when someone's done something, we say, I'm never ever going to forget that. And so in times of of anger, we bring that list back up to the forefront. Do you know what I've noticed in, in watching people as they age? That, that people who do not extend grace, oftentimes as they age, have, have a look on their face of being very unhappy and grumpy. And people who've been extending grace, who, who don't keep a record, have this lightness about them, this joy, this ease. Now, I look at both of my parents, and I can see both of those. My dad, my dad died, and he was a fairly unhappy man at that point. But I look at my mom, and she's going to be 89 years old this year. My mom not only doesn't keep a record, she doesn't even have a writing utensil. I mean, she never brings up anything from the past. And she's so easygoing and peaceful. I, I can't remember the last time I saw her angry. And she's, she's exemplifying agape love. It also celebrates holiness. Holiness. It says, love does not del- delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. When you love someone... You love it when they do things according to God's plan. When they align themselves with the truth, even when it hurts, even when it's costly. Your goal for them is not just to get ahead. Your goal for them is to honor Christ in how they do things. There's a big story in the news right now about this Little League baseball team from Illinois that that was the the, the number one team from the United States, went to the the world championship. And they discovered that the, the adults that put that team together had broken the rules. They knowingly had cheated. And so they had to do this tough thing of taking away the title and the trophy from that group of young boys. It was very painful. It was difficult. And maybe those boys don't fully understand. But they had to do what was right. The president of Little League Baseball International said for more than 75 years, Little League has been an organization where fair play is valued over the importance of wins and losses. In other words, we value character more than achievement. And in an era where professional 
Athletes, bicyclists, Olympic athletes are all taking steroids and, and other things to give them an edge in competition in order simply to win and, and beat the competition. It's refreshing to know that there's some people who still value character over getting ahead. And love does that. You know, as parents, we shouldn't rejoice when our kids get ahead by cheating, breaking the rules. We should celebrate when they do it the right way, when it's hard work, when they don't cheat on the exams and they write their own papers. And even though it may be a B or C, we say, you know what? You, you did it yourself. You did it the right way. And we celebrate that. Love celebrates holiness. And then finally, it embodies faithfulness. Paul says it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And I love that word, always. Because he's just talking about the consistency, the reliability, the faithfulness. That's so reminiscent of our God. One of the great hymns of the past is, Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not, thy compassions they fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever shalt be. In other words, God, you are consistent. You don't change one day to the next. Every morning I wake up and you're faithful. Agape love is faithful. You don't, have to, you don't have to measure whether it's on today or off today. Agape love continues to flow because it flows from the heart of someone who chooses to love. And Paul says it always protects. It always looks out for those that it's taking care of, especially in the home. Moms and dads, we protect our kids, not only physically. We, we protect them emotionally. We protect them intellectually, from the media and the lies that get spewed out from the media and the music and online. We protect. Love always protects. It always trusts. Meaning it gives room to say, I I believe what you say. I believe when you tell me where you've been and what you've done. I'm willing to trust you. It always hopes. It always believes that with God, better things are ahead. We're going to get through this. I love you and I want the best for you. You're not a failure. Failure isn't the end of the story. It's a stepping stone to your future. It always hopes for the best. It always perseveres. And honestly, isn't that the kind of love we all long for? The love where you hold someone else's hands, and as those hands get wrinkly, they stay together? That's the kind of love we want. Yes, eros love can bring two people together, but it's agape love that holds people together. It's that kind of love that drew a young couple together named Ian and Larissa. Now, here's a picture of them when they first met. They started dating, and they were young and in love, and uh, they, they had plans for their future. But in September of 2006, Ian was on his way to work, and on his drive there, and he had a job where he was saving up his money to buy a ring because they'd already talked about marriage. He was in a very bad accident. The accident damaged a section of his brain and, and left him permanently impaired. And they clung to a promise from Romans 8.28. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his good purpose. They clung to 8.28. And as he began to regain his ability to communicate, even though he couldn't communicate as clearly as before, he could communicate. And she, she determined, if he can communicate, we can love each other. And they decided, in the year 2008, on August 28th, 828 to get married. And here's a little picture of their actual wedding ceremony. So watch this screen and you will see agape love in this action.
Ian and Larissa asked me to read a couple of quotes from a man named John Piper, who's a, a well-known Bible teacher, and he talks about marriage and how it, this mystery refers to Christ and the church. And he says this, Marriage is not mainly about prospering economically. It is mainly about displaying the covenant-keeping love between Christ and His church. He says, knowing Christ is more important than making a living. Treasuring Christ is more important than bearing children. Either way, it is short. It may have many bright days, or it may be covered with clouds. But if we set our face to make of marriage mainly what God designed it to be, no sorrows and no calamities can stand in our way. Every one of them will be not an obstacle to success, but a way to succeed. The beauty of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and His church shines brightest when nothing but Christ can sustain it. All you have to do is go through 1 Corinthians 13. Take out the word love, put in the word Jesus. Just the name Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not self-seeking. Jesus does not keep a record of wrongs. Jesus always hopes, always trusts, always perseveres. And then put your name in there. It gets a little convicting. Does that describe me? Not very much at times. How in the world can I love like Jesus loves? How can I live up to this high standard of 1 Corinthians 13 of the love he demands of me? Larissa and Ian learned to do it because of what Christ had done in them. See, here's the secret. You cannot love like that until you've first been loved. And when you understand that there is a God who made you, and before you were even born, says, I'm going to give my son for you because I know you're going to wander, you're going to stray, you're going to rebel against me, but I love you so much, I'm willing to send my son ahead of time to die on a cross for your sins, to free you from all of that sin and shame and pain and hurt in your life. I love you that much. You know what's so amazing about the word agape? Is there's another word spelled exactly the same way in our English language. It's the word agape. Here's the definition of agape. It's a mouth wide open as in wonder or surprise. You will never ever think of agape in a better way than this. That when you understand the agape love that comes from God to you through Jesus Christ, it makes your jaw drop. It makes you stand in awe and wonder that a God would love you like that. And that's the kind of God we come to today. This weekend may have been miserable for you. This weekend may have been very painful for you. Things maybe didn't go as well as you wanted as you try to express love to the dear ones in your life. But I want you to know this and be unmistakable about this. That real love is the agape love that flows from God into the heart of someone who opens themselves up. It's only when you receive the love that you can then give it. And I believe today 
That there are some of you in this room that need, need to be assured of that love, need to be reminded of that love, need to surrender yourselves to that kind of love because only when you do will you be truly satisfied in this place in your life. Color of love is not gray. Color of love is red. It's the blood of Christ shed on a cross for you. And so today we're going to invite you to come. For some of you, you're broken and wounded. You need to be reminded of the love of Christ. For some of you who've, who may be just away from Christ, maybe don't understand him and his plan for your life, we invite you to come up. And maybe that's the first step of just saying, I want to understand God's love in a greater way. We want to introduce you to the God who loves you more than you'll ever imagine. And so stand right now. I'm going to have our prayer partners come up here and be positioned up front. And join us in singing this song about the great, unfathomable love the Father has for you. And if we can pray for you and pray with you, we are here with open arms. Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.